Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I am your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined with the attorney, joined by, joined by with, joined by the attorney with the most, my <laughs> co-host, attorney Sonia Madison. Good morning, Sonia. How you doing? I'm doing well. It, it sounds like you would never know that that was not the first time you've had to introduce me. I know. <laughs> and you know, it never gets easier. It really doesn't. As a matter of fact, I'm saying, why are you still, aren't there other alternatives? Aren't there better alternatives than just attorney Sonia Madison? And look at you trying to make the world know how disgraced I am. Like, why oh, you've got so many <laughs> great qualities. <laughs> then you want an attorney, might diminish you a little bit, which I, I get and understand. By all means, say the great of faithful person <laughs> that, that God great. continuously says, "Well done." <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah, that's what he says. He probably says it in a very audible voice and with probably visual hallucinations as well. So. <laughs> Ah, but I love you. I have nobody else to remember. Your cousin Mark loves you, girl. <laughs> he loves you. He loves you. So that's, that makes uh, at least one say, man. Viewers, feel free to check all the previous posts that have been like, oh, yeah, it's a joy to the podcast. <laughs> 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 all of them signed, sign your Madison. <laughs> <laughs> So my sister-in-law called me as she was leaving work one evening. It must have been 5, 5.30. I can't remember what day. Maybe Thursday, I guess. And she was like, I just called to tell you, you know, I left out and I'm going down Old Hickory Boulevard and it's flooded everywhere. And I'm thinking like, really? I didn't even hear rain today. I guess I was so busy <laughs> working that I didn't. I barely even heard the rain. They don't put me near windows, I guess, which is probably a good thing some days. I might jump. I don't know, but uh, so well, I had no idea. Those hard coughs. Those hard coughs is what it, what it is. <laughs> They're drowning <laughs> out the rain outside. <laughs> yeah, but it was. Um, I came outdoors, and that evening we needed to move some furniture because um, from our from the house, Dorisa's furniture, which she ordered back in um, August. It's finally wow. ready, available, wow. <laughs> finally being delivered today, probably even as we speak, which I learned a very valuable lesson this week because that same Thursday evening when it was storming, uh, I was planning to move the temporary sofa and love seat in our uh, bonus room to a storage place space that I have for my son in case he decides to use that furniture when he moves when he moves out. I couldn't get any movers short notice or anything like that. And so I had a friend who said, I can do it on Thursday. I can do it today. I can't do it Friday or Saturday. And I say, like, oh, procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I am. I'm the procrastinator, the eternal procrastinator. And uh, so we decided to move it in the midst of a tornado or tornado warnings and flood watches, everything else like that. But by the time I got off work, it was 7.30, 8 o'clock. No rain. It was just a couple sprinkles, a little drizzle. Winds were blowing strongly, but we did it. But I learned a very valuable lesson in that. And that is that I'm too old to lift a recliner sofa. <laughs> I'm too old to do that. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to do that again. So, yes, if they're delivering furniture, they're doing it right now or within probably during this podcast. And I will not be doing that. There's a value in white glove service. <laughs> and as I get older, I'm starting to learn the value of being able to pay somebody 
to do that for you. And if that makes me sound elitist, well, so be it. But it makes me sound smart right now. And I'm sure I've got some other 52-year-old people out here who would agree with me. Well, in the context of how we know you, it coincides with the elitist person that we all know. (laughs) 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 No, I'm just kidding. No, I I agree. I mean, sometimes that convenience. (laughs) Because, I mean, time is money, too. And so if it takes someone five minutes and it takes you the whole day, (laughs) let me pay for that five minutes to get it done. And I I injure myself throughout the day. Yeah. And if I injure myself in the process, and I can't, these things are valuable right here. These are, these are my moneymaker, these hands here. And so. I don't know um, if showing them <laughs> was helpful in your argument. <laughs> <laughs> I should be a hand model. People love my hands. What are you talking about? Hands are beautiful. Who are these people? Where are these people? <laughs> <laughs> The people who I operate on, thank you. Those people love these hands. You go on Google, look up Dr. Well, don't look up Dr. Mark Williams. Look up ear nose, look up ear nose and throat specialists of Nashville. They've got better reviews than Dr. Mark Williams does. But to your point, uh, you get hurt. That's a, that's an expense. So I mean, you can be creating more expenses than if you just have someone take care of it. So now I hear it. And my other thought is, is that it helps support the economy. You know, people who do this thing professionally, they need work too. And by all means, it's my way, my contribution of keeping the economy rolling. It's the reason why I don't do... like a Republican. I create jobs. <laughs> hey, I'm creating jobs. Ah, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Democrats like to, to create jobs too. Democrats create jobs. Don't start that mess. Come on. They do. Fall for the trap. Mm-hmm. You've been listening too much. You must have been listening too much of those Trump self-help videos, I guess. I'm going to say the fact that you know that they're out. <laughs> well, he needs but some help know, right about now. <laughs> speaking of that, have you followed any of the, and I'm, I say speaking of, only because of the doping scandal, but have you followed any of the Olympics? I mean, it, it's going by so quickly, but it is like, oh yeah, there is something going on that is worldwide. <laughs> I haven't. I, You know, last night was the first time I watched any of it. And the one sport that I was watching, I don't even know what it's called. They've got these <laughs> ladies that push this little puck on the ice and they do it so oh, smoothly. Curling, yeah, curling? That's what it, yeah. yeah, that's what it's curling. That's what it was called. Because when my brothers told me about it, they were like, do you ever watch this curling stuff? And I'm like, curling? Like weightlifting curling? Or I said, that would be a boring sport just to watch people curl. No. But, Although uh, there is so, weight, there is weightlifting in the Olympics because in the summer games, you know. <laughs> there is, there is, but I don't know that they do uh, curling in the Olympics. No, you no, know? It, it, <laughs> not, not yet. Not that type of <laughs> curling. But I, I did watch it, and uh, it was interesting because you, you do sort of get sucked in on it and you just start watching it, like ooh. Without even thinking about it, it's like it's got to be about the most boring observation sport, but somehow or another on TV, it actually draws you in. So that was all I watched. Well, you may have heard, though, about the women's figure skating scandal, as they say. Um, And I don't know the name of the drug, but I do want to ask you about it. And even if I look at it, I will probably butcher the name. Uh, So I don't know if you've heard about the drug that was found in her system, but I, I. and for, for those that don't know or haven't been catching up with the Olympics, um, one of the women's figure skater who is pretty much went into the event being the top women's figure skater in the, the you know world was found to have had this certain drug in her system that they say uh, helps the heart or does something about the heart, which I'm sure Dr. Lewis will expand upon later. And it's a banned drug. And so they found it, and they being her country, home country, found it, or whoever is doing the Olympics for her home country, found it in her system back in December. But this, there's a second testing process, so they need to let her go ahead and do the tryouts and make it on the Olympic team. And so once the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, received the, the fact that, hey, this was in her system and it hasn't been excused or whatnot, they held off awarding medals to the team because the Russian team won their event 
um, while I continued to investigate this. And it became this huge scandal because, of course, if you have illegal substances in your system, it's just kind of cheating. People will consider you you getting an, an attempt to get a leg up over everyone under illegal measure, measures, and so, or at least against the rules. So everyone has been like, oh, she should not have been skating. She should have been removed from the, the Olympics. And in, in her defense, and I'm not saying I'm defending her, but I'm saying this is what she articulated in her defense, was that she perhaps mistakenly taken the medication um, because her grandfather takes the medication. And she's also 15 years old, and so she may not understand um, the harm in the medication or the fact that it was banned because she's just following orders of her coaches. And in the midst of all that, of course, um, we've got Shakari Richardson, who was a tennis, not tennis, a track star, who couldn't participate in the Olympics because she had an advanced substance marijuana in her system. And so everyone's making comparisons um, as if this is possibly also a racial issue. And during the women's event, because they continued to let her skate, and they just said, well, hey, if she wins, we won't um, do the medal ceremony because we're still investigating this. She ended up not scoring well and in, in coming in fourth, um, which the irony is even the people that won, no one seems to be very happy about the way it's going because that's the subsequent question. You win gold and the first question is, well, so how do you feel about the doping scandal? What do you think about your teammate who you know pretty much collapsed? But can you kind of go through what the drug is and perhaps your thoughts on whether one, it should be banned and whether it truly is a leg up and all this kind of stuff? So now you're going to call on my PhD in pharmacology and <laughs> cell biophysics, which I haven't used in 15, 20 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't have to go into the ingredients per se. <laughs> uh, but the drug's name is uh, trimetazidine, and it's a drug that's used to treat angina. Uh, what it does is it, so fatty acid oxidation, it's, it inhibits that fatty acid oxidation. And they've used it sometimes uh, to treat angina. Angina is when there's when the blood vessels of the heart sort of contract and they reduce blood flow and oxygen to the heart. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, you want to improve oxygen delivery to tissues, particularly the heart. And that's the way that that thing works. I was totally unaware that it was actually used in, in doping. Uh, or that it, it could be used. That it in is doping. a banned substance. <laughs> yeah, go figure. It totally well, had no now, clue about that happening. Are teenagers typically prescribed this? I mean, is, do you usually see it in older people or people with. No, you typically, teenagers typically don't have angina. <laughs> so there's no legitimate reason why she should have this in her, in her body except for. The fact that, you know, I'm not sure how she would get her grandfather's medicine. And that's, you know, that tells you who usually <laughs> prescribed this medicine. Grandfathers, for, the, for example. Uh, so there's no legitimate reason why this should be in her system. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a, um, a a rule right now, that whole grandfather piece. And I, and I, I, can't, I don't I'm not up on the details of the uh, scandal so far, but the amounts and the levels that it was in her system, it made it pretty unlikely, I think, that it was coming from her grandfather. But um, I thought, however, the decision to let her play and continue to compete because she was a minor is that's that to me seems to be more controversial than anything. Uh, the mere fact that somehow or another because somehow because she's a minor, she's shielded from some of the treatments and some of the consequences of the um, uh, of violating their anti-doping laws uh, or rules. And I mean, do you find that even convincing at all? Because I'm like, well, if she can't understand it, then she doesn't. That age group shouldn't be in the Olympics because you you can't have this. Oh well, up until this age, <laughs> the rules apply, and then after that, but everyone can still come to the Olympics. Uh, you know. <laughs> Well, I guess the issue there is that, you know, she doesn't have control over what somebody else gives her, supposedly. If somebody else is giving her this medication, she may not be aware. Like if her grandfather, for example, was giving that to her, you know, <laughs> with her Flintstones vitamins, you know, she may be unaware. 
<laughs> doesn't matter yeah, if she's I, unaware I'm or not. You if you feel like that's a good argument, because I'm no, like, uh, no. absolutely not. <laughs> because if so, what if she misses out on an opportunity because something her parents did or something her coach did? That's their fault. So she needs to take that up with them, and she wants to go ahead and later sue them for screwing her career over by giving her a medication unbeknownst to her. Then they can go ahead and do that, but she still should be eliminated from the game. I think what it's done was to steal so much of the the, the joy of other people, uh, other competitors who now the awards are going to be delayed for, and that's that's hugely unfair. What are you going to do? Use a green screen to reproduce the environment again and take your pictures? You know, you can't even hold your fist up or anything on the, on the podium. Well, I guess you couldn't do that anyway anymore. But no, the, I know, right? Yeah. Nancy Pelosi said, do not protest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, do not protest at the Olympics. You know what? If I were an Olympic athlete, I would do exactly that. I would get there and take a knee because I'm tired of them <laughs> telling me what I can and cannot do. Well, especially you sacrifice your entire life and then you get an opportunity to use your platform to send out a message and they tell you, nope, you better not. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you sacrifice 40, 50 hours a week so that you could get to this position <laughs> only to be told that now that you have a platform, don't use it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the, the thing is, is that, you know, do you think I do this only to represent the U.S.? Nobody's, nobody's competing in the Olympics just so that they can be ideal representatives and ambassadors for the United States. They're doing this for their own personal um, initiatives and their own prerogatives and benefits, whatever they whatever they feel like they are motivated to uh, derived from doing this type of having this type of commitment. So, um, yeah, it's if you, if you are an activist and you choose to use your platform in that regard, I think you should be able to. But who knows? We're all pawns. We're all pawns in this game. You like? Well, that I mean, as much there? as I, <laughs> I was gonna say, as that? much as I, I did, I did. I was gonna try to help you out with it, but then you you had to point it out, and so then I was like, oh, well. <laughs> he ruined it. He ruined the transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only because I was gonna say, you know, it, it's again going back to the Shikari um, comparison. I, I think a lot of people, for some reason, are like, "Oh, I identify with this 15-year-old who is essentially uh, being told what to ingest, told how to train, told you know this is going to be your purpose and what's not." And for some. And, and I mean, I know people don't like to hear this, but for some reason, when it comes to a young black person, people don't seem to identify as much. It's like, oh, she should have known better. And, oh, you know, they just, they, they're stereotype. Oh, they, that's what they do. They cheat. It, it's, it's, it's important because I also recall during the Olympics years ago, <clears throat> this was the summer games, one of the African um, runners, and I'm sorry, I don't know what country, I can't recall what country she was uh, coming from or representing, but they banned her because she had a certain level of testosterone in her system that they felt was illegal. Yeah. And, and I mean, now it's different if you're a transgender, but here, this I means she was a born woman and they banned her because of her testosterone levels. And again, where's the sympathy? Everyone was like, well, she should be banned. That's unfair. And it's like only, you know, I guess it. And I, again, I sympathize with her, but it's like only certain people in the black community sympathize. And so, you know, to this transition, I mean, what what do you think about? Because that's what then happens is Biden's doing it and then politicians doing their saying, hey, I identify with you. Come to my party because I hear your pain, whereas others are dismissing you. What do you think about identity politics in that, in that realm? Well, identity is everything. Identity, you know, I think we like to think that it's less important than it really is, but identity is pretty much everything right now. Um, everything positive, everything negative sometimes as well. Think about it with the kids, the two kids that were in New Jersey this past week uh, who had the fight in the mall. Just simply two teenage kids fighting like teenage kids do. Uh, one of them was 14 or 15 years old, 14 years old, and the other one maybe yeah, 17 or the black kid and a white kid. Uh, the white the kid black is kid, older the black kid and 14, bigger. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and and so the black kid was the younger one, the smaller one, and not the aggressive one. But when the fight broke out, uh, which was instigated by the white kid, by the way, and the police come, and you know, by now, if you haven't seen the video or heard of the video, you're probably living under a rock. But I don't want to insult any of Sonya's friends or anything, or or potential, you know, future soulmates. No, Sonya's friends are like, oh no, Sonya would have told us about it. Like, look at this. <laughs> I mean, your, your future sold me. I don't want to insult uh, them. Or anything, that's but. another topic for another day. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you're offended by that, I apologize. But it's, it's hard to imagine that you haven't heard about this because nothing more clearly demonstrates the importance of identity in this country, I think, than uh, that incident. Because as soon as the police came, they 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 pulled the white guy, the older, bigger white guy, the instigator, off of the black guy who was in a uh, a more compromised position on the ground. They pulled the white guy off, set him on the couch, and said, "Sit there," while they tackled the black guy, threw him on his stomach, threw his hands behind his back, and cuffed him. Both cops then at that point. Uh, so one of the cops, the female cop, left the white guy. First of all, the female, hey. You get the white guy. I'll handle this mean black guy. You know, this, this is chivalry in action there. You know, they automatically went to which ones did they automatically go to? So I think we see a lot of different identity things in there. One, the female identity. Why did she automatically go to the white guy? Why did he go to the black guy? Do we do we have some discrepancy and some uh, difference that we see as women being quote unquote, the weaker vessel or the less physically uh, in general. And I don't want to make any broad generalizations, but in general, the frame of a woman is less uh, aggressive and less strong than a man. So if you have a more uh, aggressive task to accomplish, the man would automatically go to that. You get the easier guy, I'll get the more difficult guy. So before they even laid hands on them, I think identity was playing at hand at that point, uh, both gender identity and racial identity um, obviously played a role in the fact that you thought you can set somebody down on the couch and tell them, don't move. Obviously, that would have to be the white person that you can think because you don't think that you can tell the black guy to sit on the couch and don't move. He has to be thrown on the ground, tackled and handcuffed by both of you. There's a problem with that. And because we cannot remove identity from our daily interactions to anytime you interact with someone, you walk up on them immediately, you make certain judgments about that person. Whether you want to or not, you make judgments based on what you see. And then those judgments are either reinforced or they're negated by what happens next. And the question is, in this society, what is our identity projecting to the public and unfortunately if you're a black person your identity is projecting that you are dangerous you're villainous until proven otherwise if you're white and reasonably dressed you are perceived as a friendly person and not threatening until proven otherwise and we have to get beyond that if that happens in our daily interactions and uh, with people um, in the marketplace, in the workplace, then and in the justice system, these things happen instinctively every day, then they have to be part of our politics as well, because our politics are what help us to create the laws and the systems and the and the services that are supposed to be equitably distributed amongst all Americans, regardless of identity, race, creed, gender, whatever, baldness. You know, I was very heartbroken by the video. And, and, and to your point, it's sad to even say, because it's not like you're surprised because we identify and we being a lot of the black community identify with being perceived that way. Um, instead of being presumed innocent, you know, because you imagine when there's no video footage, so the first question is, well, what did he do? There's never a, well, why is the cop tackling a teenage boy? Um, and, and we know 
teenagers, especially boys, we know they fight. We know they're scuffle. So, I mean, why are you not only tapping them, why are you handcuffed? the guy over a, a physical dispute that teenagers do. And, 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 you know, what was even more disturbing is that the guy, the white guy sitting on the couch, he's pointing, he's telling the white officer, look, can you see it? Like, as if, you see, this, this is the, you know, ape or whatever monster that I'm dealing with. And then he stands over him as, as again, the officer is still, you know, got his knee or whatever on his back, handcuffing him. And, and I mean, there's just so many analogies or so many, you know, I don't even know what the word is, but that you see in there and that and that whole scene, like you take a picture and of the white guy standing there pointing at him and the black guy being hand, handcuffed on the ground and back to any politics, depending on how you how you perceive the world, you're going to identify as man. Yeah, that's that's how I feel as a black person. If I'm constantly feeling like even as I'm trying to get up, there's a knee on my back. And then you, if you're not, you know, identifying, if you don't understand that plight, your first question is, oh, well, what did he do? You know, it, it's it's interesting. And I was say it was a very heartbreaking thing. And the fact that the guy was um, handcuffed for 30 minutes. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent and finding out that you have not only handcuffed my son over fight, but the, the other perpetrator was able to walk away free and he's still being detained for 30 minutes. But as you probably heard about the one of the sideline reporters in the NFL, not her first name is Michelle, but I can't think of her last name. She decided that she was going to leave that position because she said she wanted to go into politics because she felt like I don't want to live in a world where skin color matters. Uh, none of us do, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, to, to, in order to live in that world, we have to deny our history. And you we are not going to deny our history. <laughs> I don't. I don't even agree with that. I want to live in a in a world where skin color matters. I want you to until it doesn't matter, because what happens is let me say skin color has to matter until until the distribution equitable distribution of services and justice doesn't depend on your skin color. So until then, I want you to look at me and see. I'm a black man. I want you to process in your mind what all of that, what does all of that mean to me? Con unconsciously, consciously, what does all that mean? And then I want you to act because I don't want you to act instinctively based off of what you see on my color on the outside, because whether you acknowledge it or not, my skin color does matter because it's going to be the first thing that you see when you, when we interact and you're going to have a flood of, excuse me, historical, experiential, um, and uh, information and hyperbole and, and, and stereotypes, everything that this society has taught you about a black man throughout your entire lives is going to help shape how you're going to interact with me. I need you to think about that before you interact. Because if you don't think about it before you interact, you can't you can't decipher what is the harmful uh, the harmful stereotypes and the implicit bias that has been motivating your action. You can't distinguish that from what is genuinely necessary to interact with me in that moment. And 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 as a result, you'll just do the fight or flight thing. Oh no, the boogeyman black man is coming after me. I need to respond. I need you to see he's a black man. I know society says that he's harmful. Let me first pull back and evaluate whether he's harmful. And if he's not, then okay. Then I've already become aware of my implicit bias. You can't become aware of your implicit bias as long as you say skin color doesn't matter. I just, I think skin color should matter. I want you to see me as a black man. <laughs> I just want your response to me as a black man to be different and based on my character and not the color of my skin. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean, it, to say that it's to deny history because it's, it's not as if, you know, we were born and then all of a sudden said, hey, we want you to see me as a black person, but it's not, we were born and we understand our history. We were taught and we see a lot of treatment including this latest video of how people are treated based on their skin color. And so until that is taken away, that I do, to your point, I want you to understand that 
you have to intentionally be conscious of your bias as you are interacting with people that are different from you. Now, I know we, we talk about skin color, but identity politics is also in religion. And I think Republicans really use that more so than, than the Democratic Party to hone in on identity politics, identity politics more than anything. And, and to me, that's also how they try to cross over from, to race is to use religion because quite honestly, and I know I'm talking probably more so in the African-American communities and other communities, but quite honestly, they feel as if, oh, you know, the, uh, religion is so important to African-Americans. It's, it's, it's how we can get them without having to touch on the race part. Um, and, and to me, one of the flaws in identity politics, because I know, I know we harp on the importance, but there is a flaw, is that it, it distracts you from what that party's actual philosophy is. Because quite honestly, when you look at the Republican Party's philosophy, their philosophy is small government. You look at the Democratic philosophy, their philosophy is big government. And you, if you don't know what those two mean, then all you're thinking is, how do I identify with this party? And that's how they're using these clickbaits of, oh, well, we're the ones that say blue lives matter, or we're the ones that say traditional values, or we're the ones that say, oh, liberal, inclusive of everyone. We're the ones that say socialism and all this kind of stuff. And, and again, it's, it's a distraction for what the true philosophy is. And I think that's a disservice. But you know when they when they mention identity identity politics is always said in a derogatory term, in a, in a derogatory context, and the reason for that is because they usually want to always apply it to uh, minorities. They want to say that when you play identity politics, you're really just trying to uh, pander to minorities. And uh, the reality is, is all politics are identity based because you you vote for the person who who identify who you identify as best representing your values, as best representing your interests in politics. So every politician has to know who his political base is. Any speaker, any public speaker, needs to know his audience, his or her audience. And if you don't know your audience, then you're going to inevitably be ineffective in your deliver in delivering your message to them. So you have to evaluate identity. Am I, I am am I more favorable among women? Am I more favorable among Hispanics? And am I more favorable among uh, educated or the uneducated or or less educated people? Am I uh, more favorable among the working class people? And so if I'm not then how do I become more favorable among those groups? Am I favorable among conservatives? Is there a way for me to become favorable among conservatives? Can I adjust my behavior so that I can be more favorable? And but that to me is the downside because then you're not going to be authentic. And and that's when you get that pandering. And I remember when Hillary Clinton got that, oh, you're pandering to black folks, but she was talking about, I have hot sauce in my, in my bag or whatever. If you are, if you do not authentically um, identify, I mean, if the group doesn't authentically identify you, you then saying, okay, well, how can I make them? I think it, it could cross that line because you're going to sit and draw on whatever stereotype that you think you have, like they do with Black people all the time. Well, let me talk about, you know, just increasing welfare, or let me talk about just putting certain people in certain roles. And while that may help the group, at the same time, that is, again, you're not authentically showing or having an interest or trying to relate to me you're just using whatever stereotype or whatever presumption you have in hopes of getting my vote. I don't think that you have to share my same view, share my same values to be able to implement and advocate for the laws that benefit me. Uh, and so if that's pandering, if, if you're pandering to me and you deliver on that promise, I don't care if you share that value or not. I don't care what your personal goals are. I haven't put you in that office uh, to, to, to espouse your personal views. I put you in that office because I want you to represent your constituents and what your constituents want, even if it's against what you think is right. That's your job. I tell I tell my employees, I don't pay you to come to work and be yourself. I don't. I, I pay you to, if you're not naturally pleasant and naturally, you know, inviting and friendly, I need you to put on a show. I need you to pander to our clients 
If it's natural but and it's natural for you, then even better. But don't you want to know if someone naturally finished? I'm sorry. If someone is in their 30s and 40s, and then you say, well, you know what? Put aside what you have ingrained in yourself to be, which is this mean and very, you know, rude person, and be nice when you come to work. I mean, that, that that's unrealistic one. But that's to me why we say there's there needs to be a better training the police officer in the police force because you're thinking that just because you have an officer that comes in and says, well, I didn't grow up with the KKK, or I, I've never, you know feel like in my mind that I've discriminated against the group doesn't mean that you don't unconsciously do that. And so then you get in trouble because you're not training or acknowledging that this person has spent years being who they are. They're not going to change just because you have presented an opportunity for them. If they don't change, then they should be fired. And that's the point. <laughs> I, I could care less if you are a member, if you, if you are the most racist person on earth, I could care less if you are a police officer, if when you pull me over, you say, good afternoon, sir. Do you understand why I pulled you over? Yes, yes because I was going to 85 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. And the white well, because guy was going 90, 90, 90, 90. <laughs> so, and, and he doesn't even recognize that. Wait a minute. Nah, I got to pull this one over. But this one, because Listen, that's also the problem. If you treat me fairly and you treat me well, I don't care what your personal values. Now, if I'm going to be your friend. Fair is subjective. If, if, if I'm going to be your friend, then yes, I want to know what your personal values are. But if you're going to be my legislator, if you're going to be my my representative in Congress, I don't really care so much about what your values are. I want to care. I want to be assured that you're going to represent my values, not your own, because you can get in there. Some of our values but differ. If, but if you know their values, why are you going to, I guess, in my mind, really, that's like a Trump. Why would you really think that this guy's going to change just because you're giving him a political office? Yes, he's going to go out on the campaign trade, as he did, and say, hey, Mexicans are whatever. And people are like, yes, I believe that. Muslims are terrorists. Yes, I believe that. I mean, he, he got that base. And then for everyone else that was like, oh, he's just talking. He's really going to go in and he's going to represent the American way. We're going to trust him and put them there. Why would you do that? I mean, well, that's what if that's you what know that's what values don't think there's going to be a light switch that then comes on when they are in a, a certain position. That was the dilemma that so many evangelicals faced when they voted for Trump. They said, we don't like what he stands for. We don't like who he is. But if he gets in and he delivers and he produces what we want him to produce, then we're OK with that. The question is, is that if are you willing to tolerate the other stuff that um, that he's going to produce that are, to me, that's the not question helpful. is also why would you gamble when you know who this person is? Like, if you why would you take your vote and say I know this person has values that I don't agree with, but I'm going to vote for them anyway? It depends I don't, I don't on mean, that's, a, that's the problem. <laughs> it, it all depends on what we always rate values. I mean, when you say that this is a value to me. We obviously have a gradation. We have a, we have uh, some level of this is very important to me. We prioritize our values. This is extremely important to me. This is important. This is less important. This isn't important at all. And so, what was highest on their on their priority was to get conservative judges and conservative Supreme Court justices and to overturn Roe v. Wade because that was their highest priority. They were a little less concerned about, you know, his racial dem demagoguery and his other, you know, flamboyance or, 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 or uh, boisterous behaviors, offensive behaviors. They were less concerned about that. Doesn't mean that they weren't concerned about it, but it was just lower on the list. And they say, I'm willing to tolerate some of this if he delivers on this. And and I, I can't really fault them for that because I, I understand the, the rationale behind it. My point is, is that don't justify the, the bad behavior because you're getting paid off because of the payoff of the good things that you want. I get it. I don't put you in the office to be my friend. I didn't put you in the office to be my pastor or to be my uh, to be my counselor. I put you in the office to be a legislator to put forth the agenda that I want, whether you agree with it or not. And frankly, here's a, here's a key example. I don't agree with abortion. 
if I were in office, I would um, advocate probably for women's right to choose. I think women should have a right to choose. But even though I think that abortion is wrong, I think abortion is immoral. I think homosexuality is immoral, according to the according to the scriptures. But I think that homosexuals shouldn't be uh, discriminated against. I think that homosexuals, according to the law, that for the job that I was hired for the Constitution to, to defend and protect the Constitution and to enact laws that are consistent with that, then I think that uh, the Constitution says that they should be able to marry or if the way that I would interpret the Constitution, they should have a right to be able to marry and have all of the legal benefits that come along with uh, having being married. And so even though I may personally not agree with some of these things, I think that you have an obligation not to assert your own personal values, but to be the representative of the constituents who put you in that office. Which is one why I'm saying identity politics can be harmful because you, instead of sticking to the values or sticking to what exactly you're going to enforce or what the party philosophy is, you're distracting people with all these identity stuff that, from your standpoint, is not relevant as long as you are doing what you are supposed to do in the position you have. Now, I'm always going to correct you when you bring up the homosexuals, because the reality is homosexuality is not, this, being a homosexual is not a sin. Now, premarital sex outside the confines of marriage is the sin. So you could be heterosexual, and if you are not married and you're out here having sex, you are just as wrong, or you are just as living a lifestyle of sin as a homosexual who is also out here having sex with someone with someone outside the confines of marriage. And so and the only reason I keep pointing that out is because that is a continuous talking point, particularly among conservatives, to say, oh, this is why you should identify with our party, because we think homosexuals are sin. We think homosexuals are bad. We think homosexuals are wrong. No, no, no. Being a homosexual so is not the sin. Now again, premarital sex outside what the makes, confines what makes a person, of marriage. Is what a makes sense. person a homosexual? Someone who is attracted to someone it? of the same sex is not the sin. I mean, okay. that's like so how you define I, sin. I, I get so the question is <laughs> so attraction. So so where does the attraction go? I, I'm 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 tracking with you here a little bit here, but there's there's a point of divergence where we where we go. I know, but that's because... why I'm saying I'm gonna I'm gonna put some biblical in there when you because when sin first came into the world, it wasn't the fact that because I know we've argued this before, it wasn't the fact that Eve um, bit the apple as you like to say, or no, it was the fact that she bit the apple, but it was really though back up. It wasn't the fact that she was attracted to the apple that was the sin. It was the act. It was the act of biting, not just the apple, the biting the fruit. Mm -hmm. Again, it wasn't the attraction to the fruit that Adam messed up. It was consuming the fruit, going to Cain and Abel. It wasn't the fact that um, Cain actually wasn't presenting great gifts to God. It was again the fact that he killed his brother, and he, and God warned him, "Listen, if you." continue to do what is wrong, sin will then come into you and consume you and will master you. And he allowed that sin to actually go into the act of killing someone. So again, just because you are attracted to something doesn't mean that that in and of itself is a sin. Now you go act on that, then yes, the sin is committed. But we, I think to me, we are all born sinners. We're all attracted to what is not of God, but we have to be intentional in our actions so that we don't allow that to consume us. Matthew 5, 28. You have heard that it was said, <laughs> do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Commit, right? yes. Please okay. hold on to that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to say it again. Somebody say, do not commit <laughs> adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. The point is, it's not just, you know, our responsibility has gotten higher to uh, to a higher level than what you actually do, but what you desire to do and what the attraction is and even the attraction itself, according to that scripture there, would be a sin. 
because you've already committed it because you've done it in your heart. Heterosexuals are sin too. Exactly. I agree. I agree. I agree with you on that one. I'm not. Your statement was homosexuals are wrong, and I'm like, no, you got to put everyone. Heterosexuals, homosexuals. Exactly. Are wrong. Exactly. I did that. Exactly. I agree. Outside the confines of marriage, that that really was and or the for. lusts for or the lust for someone right. outside the marital don't bonds. Don't parse out a group of people when that is all of us. We all. It's have not parse. I didn't. I didn't parse you out. Did. The group you did. You said homosexual. You did. I you said, said homosexuality. Like, homosexuality. Don't even say homosexuality. Is wrong. Heterosexuality Homosexu- is wrong. Is. By that. Because how are you going to be? How are you going to be attract? If if I lust after a woman, if I lust that, listen. (laughs) If I if I lust after a woman, then I've already committed adultery. That's what the Bible says, right? That's what's said. Heterosexuality is wrong. Uh, uh, By that logic, then. If I lust after a woman, it's a simple question. Simple question. (laughs) If I lust after a woman, I've already committed adultery. That's what the scripture said, right? But again, define lust. Lust is beyond attraction. I'm saying, okay, if you are attracted to someone of the same sex, that's okay. fine. But fine. now, lusting isn't an actual like going out, stalking, going out, consuming yourself. Lusting, individual. Lusting is yes. lusting is it's, it's, what is so, lusting? It's an action. I just told you it is stalking. It's a it's mental a, action. It's an action. It's a but mental it's an action. action. An attraction to to a, a group of people is not the same as lust. So that's when I'm like, okay, still stop putting homosexuality so, as if it is so much of a different um, standpoint than heterosexuality. <clears throat> it's all wrong by that context then. No, heterosexuality is not wrong. Because if I lust, <laughs> if, 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 I, if I'm if i attracted to my wife, woman, you're wrong. <laughs> if I lust after my wife, if I lust after my wife, then I'm not wrong. So that's heterosexual. That's, that's a heterosexual attraction. That is, that is the marriage. You are focused, and that's why I'm saying you keep focusing on well, heterosexuals can be right if they get married. But again, the marriage is the key. If you are not married and you are heterosexual, you by your definition is wrong. And like, so if you are wrong. married, if you're married and you're a homosexual marriage, is that wrong? But again, that's not what we're talking about. That's what I'm well, saying. Uh, that's it's not what you're talking about because you don't want to talk no, about that. you brought up homosexuals. <laughs> and I'm like, they, that is a nope. Republican or the conservative talking point. They just like that to is say a conservative homosexuals talking are point. wrong. And I'm like, don't fall into No, that I didn't say the person is don't wrong. I don't, say, I don't say <laughs> the person is wrong. I say, say the, the ideal. Don't say the, the group the, is wrong. Homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality. By, by your definition, actually, homosexuality is the sin no, as well. If you no, are if you're lusting, lusting after a woman who is not your wife is a sin. And it's no greater than the sin of homosexuality. It's no greater, no less than the sin of homosexuality. They all are sins. I'm just calling a spade a spade. Lusting after people are sins. Lusting after someone who is not your spouse, who is not your who is not your heterosexual spouse is a sin. Lusting after someone who is not your heterosexual spouse. Let's let's better define that. Lusting no, after someone I, I who is not your heterosexual premarital spouse. sex outside premarital sex outside the conference or should say outside premarital sex is a sin, period. I don't care if it's the same sex, opposite period. sex is a sin, period. I agree. Stick to I that. Agree. And but but again, when we talk about identity politics, you the Republicans love to use that, oh, homosexuals are bad and wrong. And I'm like, please stop doing that. I mean, I anyone having they sex stop, outside they of marriage should... is wrong. I agree with you but, on that. But also, it is also a distraction from, okay, what are you truly valuing or what will you truly do in that office? And that is, to me, why identity politics can be harmful because you're using these talking points to distract me from what you're really going to do once you get in that position. I, I, I disagree with you on that because I think the identity <laughs> politics are absolutely necessary because I need you to recognize that I, I'm, a group, I'm a group of people who have been underrecognized for for so long, whether it's whether it's, uh, you know, minorities or whether it's homosexuals. I think they have been ignored too long and their interests have not been represented well in the law. And if I'm going to put you in the office 
to enact laws, I need to assure myself, I need to be assured that you're going to represent the interests that I want you to represent. And so if I put you in the office and, um, you know, you can believe homosexuality is wrong as much as you want to, but as long as you commit <laughs> to- Female sex is wrong. <laughs> If you, you can do that. You can do that. If you get, if I put you in that office, you can believe that premarital sex is wrong as much as you like to. But if you're going to enact laws that prevent it, then I'm going to have a problem with that. If you're going to have a laws that going to prevent me from being able to exercise the same constitutional freedoms that other people who don't practice the same sexual practices as I do, then I'm not going to put you in that office. I don't care what your personal belief is. What are you going to deliver for me when you're in that position? It's a question. That's my point. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Don't try to identify with me. Tell me what you're going to do. Because to me, I don't need you to identify that excessive force in the in police it's, a, it's an issue. You don't have to identify that because you you will not, as particularly as a white male, you won't understand, you won't be able to truly see that. But as long as you say, you know what, I've heard you say that it's an issue and I'm going to commit to work to get that change, then fine. That's all I'm asking. The same thing with, um, you know, in, even when we talk about access to resources. Listen, I don't need you to understand that as a small business or as a minority-owned business, I have a difficult time knowing or getting access to certain resources to funding. You oh, may I need not you to understand it. <laughs> you, I need I you to understand Trump, it. But no, again, yeah. I don't need you to identify. Like, I don't need right. you to then be trying to identify like with that position. I just need yeah. you to then say, I hear you. And because you have identified this as an issue and you are my constituent and other people have said it, that is something that I'm going to then work on. Right. I don't need you putting hot sauce on a sandwich and trying to seem like you're one of us. I don't need that. I agree with you. I don't need you to identify. And I'm going to agree with you on this. I don't need you to identify with me. I do need you, however, to identify me and to be able to identify the things that are important to me. You don't have to identify with me, but you do need to identify the things that are important to me. You do need to acknowledge me. You do need to recognize that I exist and that I do matter in your in your campaign. And I do matter in the grand scheme of American society. I matter and I need you to understand that. I need you to not only just understand it, but embrace it and implement laws that demonstrate that you understand it as well. But I don't I, I don't think so now this whole question about pandering, I don't even know what the definition of pandering really is. What does it mean to pander to somebody? I honestly I'm not I'm not of my understanding of pandering meaning to is to make promises to uh, to some some group or some some person or some group of people. And I might be misunderstanding, but, you know, the word pander means to gratify or indulge in immoral or distasteful desire, need or <laughs> habit or a person with such a desire. Wow, that's interesting. I was going to say pandering is not a positive word, at least from my understanding. It, 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 it is when, it, when it's used, it is not used as a, oh, yes, go pander. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. So I, I need you to gratify. I do need you to gratify me. I do need you to indulge my interests. I don't know that I need it to be considered in the in the context of it being an immoral or distasteful desire. And so but I do need you to indulge my interests and in, in, in my passions and my but uh, indulge my priorities political interests and indulge my political exactly. interests or indulge but not indulge what you think is my, and I think that's again, when people are saying it, they're like they, the Hillary Clinton example, they're saying, oh, you think we stereotypical just walk around with hot sauce and you're going to say, oh, I'm one of you guys too. I got my hot sauce in my bag swag as well. And it's like, no, 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 don't do that. But that's not what they, but, but most of the time they're saying they're pandering to black people. For example, you're pandering to black people that politicians get accused of. They're really saying that they're really talking about the policy that they're trying to promise. And they view that as a negative because you're trying to give black people the positive, the, the policies you're promising, the policies that black people want. So you're pandering. What makes what makes our there priorities distasteful? Promises. But to me, the, the promises are what you think we want versus asking. And that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like when this news is like people say, oh, even with policy. 
oh, I will make sure that we get you guys out of welfare or we decrease, you know, incarceration and all that. Not to say that these aren't issues that people are, you know, very passionate about. But at the same time, if you do a poll on what a lot of Black people want, I mean, one, they really don't want a lot of government intervention, but they don't want the discrimination. They don't want the oppression. They don't want our tools in place that hinder the progression. So if you're going to think that, oh, all Black people just want to get out of welfare, no, you're pandering. That's not what my issue is. (laughs) I mean, to me, more white people are welfare than Black people. So to even say that, is to also acknowledge that what you're still really doing is helping your own. Let's just so be we need clear to distinguish, on that. <laughs> we need to distinguish between appealing to Black people and pandering to Black people. But I, I promise you that what happens is people are making... Uh, when when Biden ran and, and started talking about he's going to create opportunities for minority businesses and and uh, give incentives to banks to to lend to minority businesses. They called that pandering. They called it pandering. And that I think speaks volumes to what the perception of people are. Pandering is the indulgence of something that's undesirable and disgraceful, distasteful. And in the minds, I think of a lot of white conservative Americans, you know, it is distasteful to offer benefits to uh, black people. And so they would be considered or to black own businesses. They would consider that to be pandering. It would be, cons- and we consider it to be appealing to us and appealing to it. So when people start making uh, these types of accusations, I think we need to probably pay a little bit closer attention to what they're really trying to tell us. They're really trying to tell us, we don't want you to have the same benefits that we've enjoyed for uh, centuries. We don't want you to have the same opportunities that we've provided to our own children because when a politician promises to do that, we view it as indulging something that's distasteful and undesirable. Hey, I agree. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> You've been saying so many wrong things this whole podcast. Ah! <laughs> so I'm like, ah. Oh. I, I, he, yeah. he came around. He came around. Yeah, I am going to say this. I am going to say this, that if a man lusts in his heart, he's already committed <laughs> adultery. And if a person lusts in their minds, in their heart, for a person of the same sex, they've already committed homosexuality. And homosexuality, homosexuality is, my. this is my definition. You're not a homosexual based off of your desires. You can have homoerotic thoughts, homoerotic desires or something like that, or homoerotic passions. Homoeroticism is meaning having an attraction to someone of the same sex, of the same gender. Homosexuality is the engagement of sexual acts with someone who is of the same gender as you. And that's the reason why I say homosexuality is a sin. Homoeroticism may not necessarily be a sin because you can have some homoeroticism for a variety of different reasons. You can look at somebody who has the body that you desire to have. You're like, man, I'm really attracted to that body type and I'm attracted to that body type because this is what I like to look like. That don't necessarily make you a homosexual. I think, and this is my definition, and it could be wrong, and you're welcome to disagree with it. You become a homosexual when you engage in in sexual activity with a person of the same gender. Until you do that, you probably, you're not a homosexual. But if you want to look at the Bible definition is, if you've lusted for, meaning dreamed about and really desired to have sexual interactions with someone of the same gender or someone who is not your heterosexual spouse, you have already committed homosexuality or adultery, respectively. And I will just continue to reiterate, I do not like when people focus so much on homosexuality as if, again, heterosexuality is a sin too, if it's outside the confines of marriage. The focus really, for me, is on premarital sex outside the confines of marriage is a sin. Yes, although, I mean, I, 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 another conversation for another day, I think. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. You can always catch us here every Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts, some of the other podcasts out there, as well as you can catch us right here on Facebook. See you next weekend. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.